I want to thank you guys. This October's Pastor Appreciation Month, and you guys are so kind. And we've received cards and saying we're just really grateful you're here, and thank you for that. And of course, um, also a number of you've given us cards to eat out, and so well, I might waste away up here, but I'm not going to waste away down here. Um, there's no problem with that. And uh, I want to thank you guys. I really do. Um, as Karen sang, she sang about Blessed Redeemer. Guys, we are here because of Him. And, and He is the focus of our attention this morning. And I, I, I thank you, Karen, for leading us, and Thomas, uh, leading us in worship of Him because it is Him. And I thought also last week when um, Dorothy sang Holy Ground. You know, we, we live in a culture, guys, where there's not much that's holy anymore. There's not much that's sacred. And, and sometimes, even when we come to church, we come and, and it's easy for it to be, you know, week after week, it's something that we do. But we need to remember, God is holy. And I'm not trying to say that this specific building is holy because it is Him. But in a sense, it is holy ground because it is a place that God calls us to remember Him and to worship Him. And as we think about this altar, I just ask you, just may we continue to put our attention upon Him. That this morning, for he is the audience. <laughs> you think about it, he is the audience. This morning, I'm starting a new series, a book of Revelation, and I'm looking at, break it down in parts. I'm not saying we're going to go straight through Revelation, but we're at least going to look at these first three chapters. And this particular, I'm calling the series, this first part of the series, Correspondence from the King. And we're going to look at the first three verses of Revelation 1 this morning. And uh, as somebody, I think it was Judy, said, when I preach Revelation, I preach really fast. But it's because there's just so much. So I'm, But anyway, I'm going to ask you to stand in our God's honor. So I read from our text, Revelation chapter 1, first three verses. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him. To show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John. Who testifies to everything he saw. That is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it. Because the time is near. Let's pray. Master, we like to play games. We like to think we're bigger and better than we really are. We get caught up in elevating ourselves. But Lord, it's you. And we just come this morning. We want to take some time and we want to confess and we want to acknowledge we need you desperately. And I just pray as we continue to worship you. We've sang to you. We've given to you. We've prayed to you. And Father, this is con continuing. As we look at your word, it's to you, God. Because it's from you. And may we be filled to the full so that we may go out for you. 
And, and that's just a prayer, God. Uh, hide, hide me behind your cross, Lord. I'm not much, but I'm yours. And that's what matters. And so I ask that you work. I thank you for Colossians 3, 3. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Hiding behind you, Jesus. Lead us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Rhonda Byrne went through a very difficult time with the unexpected death of her dad. And then she began to worry about her mom. And she didn't know where to turn. And somebody gave her a book that was written in 1910 called The Science of Getting Rich. Written by a guy named Wallace Wattles. What a name, Wallace Wattles. Anyway, she read this book and as she continued to read it, she became excited. And she thought, there is a secret in here that all people need to know. And as she began to read, her idea of a secret that needed to be spread became apparent. She said as she read the book, tears would well up inside of her and a growing excitement. And then her claims were that back 3,500 years ago, this truth was active and alive in culture. What is the secret that she reveals when she eventually writes her book? She calls it the secret of attraction. That like attracts like. And here's what she says. What we do is we attract into our lives the things we want. And that is based on what we're thinking and feeling. This principle explains we create our own circumstances, our own thoughts, which means our thoughts are the most powerful things we have on earth. And catch this. The truth about the secret is that you do not choose to follow God. You choose to recognize you are God. You are divine. You are sovereign. Hey guys, it is scripture, but here's the scripture it is. Eve, I have a secret. Eat this fruit and you shall be like God. As there is in our culture this system that says we are becoming gods. That we are little gods, little 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 stones off of that big stone, that big foundation of God. And, and that is the lie that lives on. I want to read to you a couple of other proponents, the preachers of this. This is from a guy named Creflo Dollar. One of his messages he preached, everything produces after its own kind. Horses get horses, dogs get dogs, and God's produced gods. Y'all didn't hear that. Horses produce horses, dogs produce dogs, gods produced gods. And then God produced more gods with flesh, and then gods with flesh produced more gods with flesh, and then gods with flesh produced more gods, until the God of gods with flesh showed up one day with flesh and dwelt among the other gods with flesh to demonstrate to other gods how to have authority over the flesh. Is that fast enough for you, Judy? He says, this is the history of the religious church wants to hide away from you who don't know who you really are. In other words, this is the secret the church has kept away from you. You are a little God in the flesh created by God and you have the same power He has to create your own destiny and reality. Another false teacher, Kenneth Copeland, he says, you can have whatever you say. In fact, what you are saying is exactly what you're getting now. If you're living in poverty, change what you're saying. It will change what you have. Discipline everything you do, everything you say. God will be obligated to meet your needs. 
In other words, speak it into existence. You have the power of God to create your own reality. Ladies and gentlemen, there is no incantation. There is no secret prayer. There is no specific formula which will make you divine. There is one who is divine and his name is Jesus Christ. And it is His story, it is His work, it is the hope that He provides, that's why we're here. It is not a work that we complete, it is the work He completed at Calvary, which is the ultimate truth. Uh, One more example of this, a lady named Marianne Williamson wrote a book called A Return to Love, Reflections on the Principles. It's a course in miracles. (laughs) She became famous when she appeared on the Oprah Winfrey show, A few years ago, Oprah was so excited about her books, she bought a thousand books, gave them out to all of her friends. And then there was a a course that Oprah Winfrey pushed, uh, one teaching every day of the year for a whole year from this lady's book. And this is just a couple of the so-called truths she said Jesus taught. She said, Jesus didn't say this, but listen, a slain Christ has no meaning. The journey to the cross is a useless journey. The name of Jesus Christ is a symbol used for the many names of all the gods to which you pray. The recognition of God is the recognition of yourself. Hey, it's all over again. Eve, just eat this fruit and you will be as God. Adam, just take a bite of this fruit and you will be given the divine knowledge. Here are some of the lessons that that were from her course. Lesson number 29. God is in everything I see. Lesson 61. I am the light of the world. Lesson 70. My salvation comes from me. The goal is clearly revealed in the writing of another book of similar writing called Neil Walsh's book called The New Revelations. He says in this book, the era of the single Savior is over. This, my friends, is not new revelation. It is an old lie. It is not a new revelation that somehow we are becoming God so that we don't need God. Matter of fact, the opposite is what's really true. We desperately need a Savior. We are broken, wounded people who are a mess. That need the healing that comes through Jesus Christ alone. You don't need some words that I can concoct. You need the words of God. The words of Jesus Christ. And so do I. You see, when you open this book. And we open to the book of Revelation. Look at the first five words here in our text. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ. You don't know what this book, the book of Revelations about? It's about Jesus Christ. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ. It is about His rule. It is about His perfect work. And we're going to look at these seven questions. Took me half my time to get here, so just bear with me. Number one, what is true revelation? Well, the word revelation literally means in the Greek to unveil, to uncover what was previously hidden. So in this book, there is an unveiling. There is a revealing 
of Jesus Christ. Uh, who he is and what his work is. And it's so interesting because we so often become so overwhelmed and confused about this book that calls itself the unveiling of Jesus Christ or the open book of Jesus Christ. And we are afraid to approach it. And yet it is here that God says, I reveal my son. I reveal Jesus. And, and, and there are several approaches here I want to just briefly touch upon. The first is called the preterist approach, which says the book of Revelation is merely a history book. It's just merely a history of what has happened in our world and that everything has already taken place that we read in the book of Revelation. They have a problem here as they, Jesus Christ does not ultimately appear in the book because it's about history, what's already occurred. You're looking back instead of looking ahead. And so where they see Jesus, they spiritualize his appearance in the fall of the temple in A.D. 70. One author said that the preterist builds a firm pedestal but has no sculpture to place on it. A second approach is called the historist approach. It says all prophecies have been fulfilled sometime in the last 2,000 years. But here's the crazy thing about the historist approach. It wants to connect a historical place or person with the teaching of Revelation. And so you get some really... Interesting parallels. Uh, here's a few. They see locusts referring to monks and friars. They see Muhammad as the fallen star. They see Alaric the Goth as the first trumpet. Elizabeth the first as the first bowl. Martin Luther as the angel of Sardis. And Adolf Hitler as the red horse. And it goes on and on. And then there's a third approach. It's called the idealist approach. This approach simply says that the book of Revelation is an allegory of good and evil. And that the return of Jesus Christ is a spiritual return that happens in my head. But it's not a physical return. And then there's one more. It's the futurist approach, which says we're going to do our best to take a literal reading of the book of Revelation in a straightforward way to try to see what the Scripture reveals in accordance with what will happen that's how we study the prophets and and quite frankly that's how plan on looking at the book of revelation several commentators said 278 out of the 404 verses in revelation mention the old testament speak about something that occurs in the old testament so a great deal of the old testament's revealed wilmington's survey of revelation he cataloged the references of the coming christ of jesus through each book. What a job. Glad I didn't have to do it. He already did it, so I can just read it. Here, here's what he uh, revealed. There are 13 references in Genesis, 27 in Exodus, 4 in Leviticus, 3 from Numbers, 10 from Deuteronomy, 1 apiece from Joshua, Joshua Judges, 2 Samuel, 6 from 1 Kings, 1 from both First Chronicles and Nehemiah, 43 from Psalms, 2 from Proverbs, 79 from Isaiah, 22 from Jeremiah, 43 from Ezekiel, 53 from Daniel, 2 from Hosea, 8 from Joel, 9 from Amos, 1 from Habakkuk, 2 from Zephaniah, 15 from Zechariah, 1 from Malachi. It speaks about Jesus all over the place. You're looking at Old Testament. Well, the Old Testament, I just want to get to Jesus. He's in there. It's all over the place. So what is the revelation? It is the capstone of prophecy. It is the unveiling of Jesus Christ and His work. Second question. What is the revelation about? (laughs) 
One word, him. Let me just run through here again. You might want to write down these references. I'll try to give you at least enough time to write them down. It afraid it'd take too long to look them up. Chapter 1, verse 1. He is Jesus Christ. Chapter 1, verse 5. He's the ruler of the kings of the earth. Chapter 2, verse 8. He's the first and the last. He's the crown of all glory. Chapter 2, verse 18. He's the Son of God. Chapter 2, verse 23. He is the one who searches the minds and hearts. Chapter 3, verse 7. He is the one who has the key of David. He is the one who opens the door that no one can shut. That's still 3 7. 3 14, he is the amen. Amen means so be it. So when we think about Jesus, so be it. <laughs> uh, chapter 3, verse 14, he's the faithful and true witness. Chapter 5, verse 5, he's the lion of the tribe of Judah, which refers to his royalty. Chapter 5, verse 5, he's the root of David. Chapter 6, verse 10, he's the true one. In 6 10, he's the holy one. In chapter 11, verse 8, he's the Lord. In chapter 11, verse 15, he's the Christ. In chapter 12, verse 11, he's the Lamb. And he's referred to 26 other times in the book of Revelation. And of course, it speaks about redemption. The cross. Uh, Chapter 15, verse 3, he's the King. Chapter 19, verse 13, he's the Word of God. Chapter 19, verse 16, he's the King of Kings and he's the Lord of Lords. (laughs) Chapter 21, verse 6, he's the Alpha and Omega. Chapter 22, verse 13, he's the beginning and the end. Chapter 22, verse 16, he's the bright and morning star. Chapter 22, verse 20, he's the Lord Jesus. See, each title reveals who he is. Christ is called the Alpha and the Omega, which is the first and last letters of the alphabet, the Greek alphabet. He's the beginning and the end of all. Uh, Chapter 1, he's called the first begotten, which is a reference to his resurrection. His resurrection provides resurrection hope for all of us who place our confidence in him. He's the morning star in chapter 22, which means he's going to usher in that eternal day. Now, we've got to move on to question 3. Who is the audience for this revelation? It says, which God gave him to show his servants... What must soon take place. In John's day, the picture here uh, is translated servants. Some translations bond servants. But to be just quite honest, I kind of like the translation slave. It means there is a master. There is one to whom we can securely give our lives, that we can obey and that we can follow As you look in the Old Testament, there were those that were served for a designated period of time because they didn't have enough money, and so they went into an indentured uh, type of slavery, indentured servants. And when there came a time, according to the Jewish law, where they were to be set free from that obligation to be a servant, to be a slave. But there were those who loved serving their master so much that they would follow, follow a ceremony where they would have their ear pierced And the significance of having their ear pierced was to say, I don't want to leave. I want to stay with my master. I want to serve him with all of my heart and all of my strength. And and I really believe that is the picture here of these servants. 
as they love Jesus, as they follow Jesus, their hearts are open to his wonderful truth. I, I think that's what he has in mind here. Okay, question four. How is the revelation communicated? He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John. Through an angel. Now, that seems kind of risky. As you look about other religions, Mormonism revealed by an angel. Islam revealed by the work of an angel. But as we look through the book of Revelation, angels are not strangers, guys. Seventy-one times angels are specifically mentioned as workers for God. Matter of fact, one out of every four references in the Bible on angels are found in the book of Revelation. Uh, move on here. Uh, number five. How is this revelation authenticated? Look at verse two here. Who testifies to everything he saw. That is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. There is a threefold testimony here. First, I, I want you to notice uh, the word of God. The word of God leads us to the son of God. The Spirit of God exalts the Son of God. And the Son of God exalts the Father. And they're in harmony that God is the one who is ultimately worshipped. As we look through the pages of the Word of God, we find Jesus. It is a revelation of Him. Second testimony is that of Jesus Himself. What He spoke of. He said, I and the Father are one. He said, I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. It is his testimony. And then there is the testimony of John. As that faithful servant, God revealed to him the truth of Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, one guy wrote like this. He said, if this revelation were being tried in court, as true or not, the defense attorney would present the written testimony of the word of God the Father, and refer to the spoken testimony of the Son of God and show how they corresponded perfectly with one another and then called to the stand an eyewitness named John. And so that there was truth that was shared. Uh, just a few references to John's testimony, what he saw. I want to write these down there again, turn these. I know I'm already out of time. You know how that goes for preachers. Okay, Revelation 1, 12 through 13, he says, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking with me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet. Well, turn down to 17, the first part. He says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. This is what John saw. All right, turn over to chapter 5. Yeah, I said I wasn't going to, but I'm turning. So you can turn to that's always good, by the way. Uh, five one. Then I saw the right hand of him who sat on the throne, a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. This is what he saw. And then we go all the way to the end here, chapter 20. Well, not the very end, but near the end. Chapter 21, verse 1, he says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any. See, matter of fact, guys, as you look through the book of Revelation, 44 times John will say, I saw. He witnessed it personally. You know, there are all kind of books that are popular deathbed experiences as, as they share about what they saw. 
When they passed through that portal, that doorway, we describe as death, what they saw. John was seeing a testimony of what was to come to the one who is the author of life. who holds the keys of life and death. Number six, as I move on here. Why should I study this revelation? Back uh, to our central text, Revelation chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take it to heart what is written in it. I'll stop there. We'll get to the last part on question 7. This is interesting because there's a threefold promise here for those who take to heart this book of God's Word, the book of Revelation. First, he says, Blessed is one who reads it. Now, more than likely, what we don't often think of in our culture, he was speaking about the lector. You see, there were only so many copies of the book of Revelation. So they would gather together the people of God, and they would have a guy that was up front, and he would he was the lector, he was the reader. He would read from this book... And God is saying, blessed is the one who takes the time as he gathers people to read from the holy book. And so, secondly, it's not only the reader, but there is a promise to the hearer. He says, and blessed are those who hear it. So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Men, blessed are people like you who say, I I need a meal, a spiritual meal, not just a a physical meal to to fill my soul and my heart. I need to hear from God. That's what I need to hear. And that's what he's saying here. Blessed is the one who hears. But he goes a step further. He says it's not just the one who speaks it. It's not just the one who hears it. He says it's the one who does it. Notice what he says here. And take to heart what is written in it. And it made me think of James chapter 1, verses 22 through 25. I know in the King James it says, Be ye hear, not hearers only, but doers of the word of God. And the translation I learned, it says, Do not merely listen to the word of God and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. And then he goes on, he says, Anyone who listens to the word and does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and walks away and immediately forgets what he looks like. He says, But the one who intently does it and continues to do it, he will be blessed in what he does. That that is what he is speaking of here. One last question. Beyond a personal blessing, why does this book, the book of Revelation, matter? Our last phrase here. Because the truth, because the time is near. Because the time is near. That word time speaks about the season. It is not talking about an exact time on a clock. It is talking about a season that is approaching. That is near. And what is approaching? You see, for now, the era of the single Savior is not over. He still cries out. And if you are here today and you have not received the forgiveness that God offers through the work of Jesus Christ that occurred on Calvary, that age is still here. You can right now at this moment say, Jesus, forgive me. I am a sinner and I want to be set free and I want a new start and I need you. That age is still here. And, and, and that is the call. But, but the time is near where he is going to return. And then it will be too late. That age will have 
past. But that time is near. He's coming, guys. Matter of fact, uh, let's do a little uh, hopping through Revelation again. Chapter 3, verse 11. Jesus says, I am coming soon. Revelation 3, 11. Revelation 22, verse 7. Behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is he who keeps the words of this prophecy in this book. Chapter 22, verse 12. Behold, I am coming soon, and my reward is with me. Chapter 22, verse 12. Got several references right there in the end of the book. Chapter 22, I love it. Chapter 22, verse 12, he says, Yes, I am coming soon. And I love this. Let's go ahead and turn there to Revelation 22. This, this gets me excited. Like I need that, right? But... Uh, 22, you come to the end here. (laughs) Verse 20 says, He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming soon. He says, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. And I like that. You ever those days where you wake up and everything's going wrong and you say, God, oh, come on now. Man, I have some of those. Maybe I created the mess, but I know who can clean it up. Just come on, take me out of here. And that's what he's saying. He's saying, come on, we're waiting and we're watching this time. You see, throughout that first appearance of Jesus, when he first came to the earth as the Messiah who was to come, hundred prophecies that spoke as the suffering servant would come. There are over 200 prophecies about what will happen. His next return. Guys, if you missed it the first time, you can... Get him now. Get him today. Trust him today. But we have a chance for what will occur. And the call is may we not miss his second coming. Okay, as I close this thing out. Mrs. Phoebe Knapp. You may not have heard her name, Phoebe Knapp. But you probably heard the name of her co-worker. A lady named Fanny Crosby. They worked on hymns together. And Phoebe Knapp often wrote the melodies, the hymns. And and probably the song she wrote the melody for that's most famous is a song called Blessed Assurance. And didn't we just hear some of that? (laughs) Anyway, Blessed Assurance. And um, what's interesting is her husband is the founder of Metropolitan Insurance Company. And she said at one point, Phoebe said, It is a a Metropolitan Life Insurance Company. She said, it's a wonderful thing to have insurance for life. But a far better thing to have insurance for life hereafter. And there's only one way to get insurance that counts. Jesus. As I get ready to pray... uh, as Thomas said, daughter is always open. You know, I'll be honest with you guys. Uh, a lot of times I pray, God, help me not get in your way. We all are trying to be something. Everybody knows we're not. But thanks be to God, He sees us, uses us anyway. Let's pray. Father, here we are, Lord. We need you, Master. Father, this is a time we call invitation. It is a time set aside to respond to you, the living God. Holy Spirit, obviously we invite you to work. um, Not because of us, but in spite of us.
Clean our hearts, God. Draw us to Jesus. Maybe one for the first time to just say, I need Jesus in my heart. Maybe another to say, I've made that commitment to Jesus, but I need to be baptized and let others know that I love Jesus and I follow Jesus. Maybe there's just something needs to be dealt with and you want us to come to the altar and pray or pray right where we are. It's just you are the one, Father, that we are accountable to. And so I just pray you work among us for your wonderful glory. glory. We need you, Father. So as we stand, as we sing, may we obey in Christ's name. Amen.